So, Father, uh, we thank you for this awesome time that we've had already. I'm so blessed by the worship and the fellowship and by uh, communion with our brother, Rick. Thank you for all of this, Lord. And we just ask that um, you would bless this time this morning, bless our hearts, let our hearts be open to your word, uh, let your strength uh, be evident through my weakness. I cast all my fears, I cast all my doubts at your feet, Lord, and I thank you for this opportunity to be a servant for you. Let everything that I say and do uh, be for your glory. It's in your name I pray, Jesus, amen. 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 So one of the things, it's okay, we can praise God. Yeah, it's okay. Um, one of the things that I love about Cryo Christian Fellowship is that we're, we're always in God's Word, right? So every Sunday, every Wednesday, even at the level of Sunday school, right, uh, we're going to be looking at God's Word. We're going to be teaching God's Word. And I think that's important because, I know I'm grateful for that, because uh, I'm not always in God's Word as much as I want to be, right? And even though you might love it, I know I do, uh, I just don't make the time that I should. But I do love the fact that the more I read, the more I understand. And I love the fact that the more I read, the more relevant it becomes in our lives. And don't you love that too? You notice that? And you notice how certain verses can penetrate into your mind, into your heart, and I know I've spoken about that in the past, and so I've taken to calling these scriptures that become so important in our lives, I've taken to calling them life scriptures. And so I really enjoyed the, the last time that I got to teach on a Wednesday night because I asked uh, some of my brothers and sisters to share their life scriptures. And it was such a blessing to hear from other people how God's Word had impacted their life. And they came from uh, the quotes that they, they gave, the scriptures that they shared came from all books of the Bible. Some of us shared from Psalms, um, some of us shared from Proverbs, and of course, I was blessed. Some of us shared uh, from the prophets. You know, I remember Jeremiah distinctly, uh, Isaiah as well, and the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, right? And John 3.16, the classic, how can you not share that as a, as a life scripture? And Psalm 23, those are the ones that just come to mind. But I love it because it reveals that these scriptures, they're there for us, right? They're, they're God's word, not to entertain us, not necessarily to give us insight, but to tell us what God has in his heart so that we can keep them in ours. It's not complicated to really keep them in our heart so that when we need them, they'll be there. When we need them to rely on when we're shaken, we're confused, when we need them to depend on, when we're in life is throwing you curves, right? We need God's word to trust in when you don't have any trust at all. And to minister to the brethren, to build them up. Because when you can share God's word with somebody else, that's what it does. It encourages them. And of course, just to reach out to the Lord and to reach out to the lost. And as Christians, we should understand the value and the relevance of God's word. And then how we can apply it to our own lives. Now, for non-Christians, it's a little bit different. It's kind of hard sometimes to explain the depth to which God's Word can impact us. I don't know about you, but it's, it's difficult 
sometimes. And the closest explanation, the closest comparison that I could come up with was uh, God's Word is like a soundtrack in our lives as Christians, right? When we spend time with Him, you think about it like if you watch a movie, soundtracks are they're important, but sometimes they're in the background, right? But a good soundtrack will point out the right things at the right time. It'll set the right mood. It'll give you the right perspective. And if it's really good, it'll make the movie even better, right? Notice that. But there's a huge difference in that comparison because God's Word is not just good. God's Word is great. It's awesome. It's unbelievably great. And it's not a person or an artist who's trying to reach you, you know, through the song or through the music. It's the living God, amen? And so he has much more insight, much more wisdom, much more love to share when you seek him out. And so with that kind of depth and impact, I believe that it should be natural for us to want to share what a huge difference God's word makes in our lives and in our relationship with him. And I know some of you already do this, right? You're really good at it. And bless your hearts. But I ask you a question here. Did you know that when you're doing this, that you're being obedient to God? And I say this because this type of obedience, it reminds me of another of my life's verses, and I'm sure it's not just mine, uh, but it's 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, and do this with gentleness and respect. And if you think about it, the Lord's not saying this because, you know, it, it, as a filler, he's not just throwing that in. It's there to tell us that each and every one of us will get an opportunity, and he knows that. It doesn't say someday you might get an opportunity to share God's word. It says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. You should be ready. We should expect it, in fact. And, okay, full transparency, I'm not always prepared. But with the Holy Spirit and by His grace, I know I can try to put together something that makes sense and explain why I walk with Jesus. And, and you guys should all be able to do the same. I believe that. To be able to give the reason for the hope that we have. So the Lord put it on my heart. And that's why I have the title here, Always Be Prepared, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And there are some simple ways I'm going to try and share with you today, some good information, some good little scriptures, so that, um, you know, we can all be a little more prepared. Again, I'm no theologian, right? But you don't have to be either. It's kind of like Christianity 101. So if you're a mature Christian and you've heard this all before, apologies, bear with me here. But uh, I think it's important for everyone so that we can lift the level and, you know, of all the, the Christians, of all the brothers here and sisters, together and, and we grow stronger in the Lord, okay? So for starters, when you do get an opportunity, and you will, when you do get a, a question here and you don't know where to begin, and I know you've heard, we've heard uh, Pastor Arnold say this many times before, you know, if you don't know what to say to someone and they ask you about your relationship with Jesus, you know, the whys in the house, how you came to know him, a good starting point, and for us today, a good starting point, number one, is just tell them your story. Tell them your story of salvation. Talk about how you came to the Lord. And some people, bless their hearts, they do have something ready, right? They say they came to the Lord because, uh, you know, well, they didn't want to go to hell. You know? <laughs> and fear is a good motivator, right? But I, I, 
It's a little on the negative side, but on the positive side, you could just you could say, I wanted to go to heaven, right? Some people take it that way. That's their, their um, direction. And some people might say, well, I just didn't want to miss the rapture because I knew Jesus was coming again, and I didn't want to miss it. And I know that worked for me, right? No regrets for me at all. Um, but it was, it was a long time ago when I thought he was coming then, you know, and I have no regrets about that. I still believe that he's coming. It might not be in my lifetime, and that's okay. It's fine. Um, but anything that we come up with is better than, a, you know, the old primal shrug, right? You guys know what the primal shrug is. You just, I don't know. That's what we call the primal shrug, right? So if you're at a loss for words, tell them your story. And it's the easiest response because if anyone is, you are an expert on your story, right? It's easy to remember. It should be, right? Unless you have a, well, unless you can't remember. But, uh, and it's very impactful because it's sincere, right? It's sincere. And I've come to find out too, as you think about it, there are some generalities that apply to most everyone's story when it comes to their story of salvation. And I would not be surprised if, if your story parallels what is a well-known arrangement or progression of scriptures that people call the road to Romans. But I'm going to simplify that because uh, we don't have that much time. We could do a whole message just on that. Um, but let's open up our Bibles to, to Romans, if you will. Romans chapter 3. We'll take a quick and closer look. Uh, because you think about it, the universality that we all share is that before we were saved, we're all sinners. Amen? And of course, we still are, but we're saved. And so in Romans chapter 3, you can see in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So during this process of, of coming to the Lord of salvation and, and giving our heart to Him, everybody comes to that understanding. They should, that they are by nature sinful. And so what would become of us? What becomes of that? So flip over to Romans chapter 6. And as you do, I should establish a point of clarification here. Sin separates us from God. It's important to understand that. So we couldn't be in his presence, you know, with sin in our hearts. Without the forgiveness of sin, we're doomed because we could never come close to him. Can't even come close. So what would be our destiny without that forgiveness? Well, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the wages of a sinful nature is death. That's what we would deserve. That would be our just ending. I love part B, though. It's a very important word, the word there, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How so? Well, if I could, as an extra credit, I would insert there Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us right? Yes, we're sinners, no question about it. So Romans 3.23, and the just wages of our sin is death, right? We, that would be our just compensation, if you will. But we have a gift available, so that's Romans 6.23. And in his mercy and grace, the Lord requires us to come to him and accept a gift. So flip over now, if you will, to chapter 10. A few pages over, right? Where it says in verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? So it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Repeat after me. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23. Romans 10.9. How easy is that? Right? And, and they, they roll. It's like a, a locker combination. Do they still have lockers in school? I don't know. <laughs> it's been so long. But if you tell your story of salvation and you use these scriptures to reinforce or you know, firm up your, your story, it's a much better story. It's a lucid and, and it's a clear explanation of how we came to understand our need to give our lives to Jesus. And it kind of frames the story better, I think, too. See, it's hard for people to, to argue against God's word. They can't say, no, it doesn't say that. It's because it does, right? And of course, God's word has more credibility than most of us. But I understand. It's hard for people like you and I to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for you, who asks you to give the reason for that hope that you have. And very few of us are eloquent at the, at the tip of their tongue right off the bat. But you can tell your story. You can keep it simple, right? And you can keep it true. And in addition to being able to talk about the story of our salvation and reference that, Road to Romans. The Lord has shown me it's also important to be able to say why you believe in Jesus, why you believe Jesus is Lord. That's point number two. Tell them why you believe Jesus is Lord. Now, this is a little more involved, a little more re reflective, if you will, but most of us should be able to talk about what everybody else has, has already heard, right? What the world is familiar with, because you could just say, well, Jesus is the most famous man who ever lived, right? That's a good starting point. I mean, what year is it? It's 2023. Since who? Since Jesus was born. So he was the most famous man who ever lived, and he said he was the son of God. There's no question about that because he was crucified for that. But he said he was the son of God. He didn't say that he was a prophet or anybody special like that. He said he was the son of God, and there's no question about that. And he proved it. And you know that he proved it through the miracles that he did, which were amazing and which were witnessed. He proved it through the fulfillment of prophecies, right? Which is, again, if you consider the odds, that's crazy. And then he proved it, of course, through the resurrection. And there were witnesses thereafter, right, who were willing to die based on that understanding. Now, all this makes sense, but I know people still come to you and they say, yeah, that's what people say. Right? How do we know for sure? And they'll ask you that. And I don't have to tell you that, that people want to argue. Some people just want to argue. right? And there are smarter people out there, absolutely, no question about it. And they want to distract. right? So they'll, they'll want to talk about things like, oh, the authenticity of the Bible, right? or the plausibility of the story. You know, how could that have really happened? Or, or the plausibility of creation, which is difficult. Now they might be smarter, but that's why we need to learn, like we are today, you know, how to be able to address them. Now we've all had opportunities to have all kinds of the, these types of discussions. I know I have ever since I've become a Christian. I'm hoping today's message will, will help us, especially if you're a little bit intimidated by the thought of being a good witness for Christ. You know, um, and I'll share just a little bit about my experience. I became a Christian when I was young, and I was still in college. Right? And it's kind of funny because I wasn't necessarily uh, antagonistic towards Christianity. 
but I wasn't necessarily an admirer, right? I wasn't really like an advocate. I was kind of like just, okay, stay in touch, God. You know, I'll call you when I need you. You know, just a probability, take my chances kind of thing. But the Lord works in mysterious ways, amen? And I remember during my freshman year, I responded to a flyer. You know how they put flyers? I don't know if they still have flyers and kiosk in the middle of campus, but I saw one that says, make good money part-time. Right? So I showed up to this room in, in one of the buildings, and it was some guys telling us how you can make money by selling Bibles door-to-door. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So I was out of there. You know, No way I'm going to do that. Right? And then later on, I can distinctly remember walking by a table uh, set up with Christian students that were sitting there. They were manning the table, and, and I'm thinking to myself, very clearly, it's vivid in my, in my mind, you know, what a bunch of dorks, you know, they're sitting there at the table, you know. And then later that year, I was hitchhiking home. You shouldn't be hitchhiking. But back then, more people hitchhiked, right? It was a long time ago. And uh, who should pick me up? And I've shared this with people. It was a guy who talked about the Lord the whole time. It was like two hours, you know, and, and in my I'm, I'm going like this to him saying, yeah, that's nice. But in my head, I'm going, la, 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 because it wasn't right. He was planting a seed, bless his heart, but I wasn't ready for it. But then just to make a long story short, just a few years later, there I was. Now, I'm a born-again Christian, right? And now I'm, I'm all in, right? I mean, I started serving in church. I started serving in the school. And before long, yep, I found myself sitting at a table in front of the big... <laughs> front of the big student union, right? Just all the students are coming by, yeah, you know, the banner right in front hanging on the table, the dorks for Christ, you know? No, it, it said um, Campus Crusade for Christ. But, you know, and then I realized too, I liked it, right? I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this is such a blessing, right? So I, I was anxious, but I was fired up, you know, and I, I was ready for those people who want to argue, I thought anyways, because I was prayed up. And I was paired up with a mature Christian. Back then, a mature Christian was, you know, a guy with one year under his belt as a Christian. And yes, on the outside, still wearing shorts and and sandals or chanclas. But on the inside, you know, I had on my breastplate of righteousness. And I had my Bible, you know, even with my name on it. You know, I was like, yeah, I'm official Christian now. It's in my backpack just in case I need it. You know, the sword of the spirit. So I was all ready, ready to let my light shine. So I'm sitting there at the table, you know waving at people and smiling. And then my partner decided, oh, I got to take a break, right? So he's leaving me there alone. Didn't take long. Another student walks up and he said firmly, but isn't the Bible really just written by man? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And that was the first day, right? I, I got better. And after that, I was all the more determined to get more knowledgeable about God's Word. I started reading books on creation research. I started reading books, a simple apologetics, if you will, on the Bible itself, just to be prepared and on Jesus. And then while reading the Bible, I came across today's key verse, right? Really reading it for the first time. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared. Always be prepared. Then I appreciated it because it meant something. And so over the years, I've begun uh, studying, but also I've appreciated certain pieces of advice that come to me. And so I would like to share one of them. 
when you're talking about why you came to the Lord, it's good to also steer them towards Jesus, right? Steer them towards Jesus as a topic. He did it. He did it in a very simple manner. But it was such a key question. It basically is a matter of life and death for people. You'll find that it's repeated in all in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew chapter 16, in Mark chapter 8, and in Luke chapter 9. And they all record this conversation. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, it says, Jesus and the disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, what do people, sorry, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered. He said, you're the Messiah. Isn't that a great answer? You're the Messiah, Lord. And that forever cements Peter in my heart as a winner, no matter what happened later on. And of course, he, re he was redeemed. But he just knew the right answer. You see, everybody, Christians, and especially non-Christians, has an opinion about Jesus. And people want to share their opinion. You want to make someone feel good about themselves? Ask them their opinion. People love to share their opinion. I do that all the time. It's an old sales trick here. Um, and it's helpful because you want to share the reason for your hope. This is what you can do. Try and steer them towards Jesus. If he's the topic, it forces you to see things uh, almost from his perspective, right? If it's a Christ-centered message, you realize that you're the ambassador, that you're the representative. And then you have to rely on the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are we talking about here? You know, when you're sharing with other people and you're, you're trying to search in your mind, well, we're talking about Jesus. You remind yourself we're talking about Jesus, and then you say, oh, yeah, and Lord, help me, you know, as, as you're doing it, right? If you have them in your heart and in your mind at the same time with the Holy Spirit, you can do that. So if somebody were to ask me today about my opinion of Jesus, I would still reiterate what we had talked about earlier. Yeah, he's the most famous man who ever lived. He said he was the son of God. He had all this proof here in miracles, right, and witnesses and the fulfillment of prophecies. I would firm it up a little bit more with, with some scriptures. You know, most of us are familiar with Psalm 22, that's a prophecy. Isaiah 53, that's a prophecy. Micah uh, 5, 2, that's a prophecy. And you correlate the odds there, the probability. What's, what's the chances of somebody being able to be born where it says the prophecy says he's going to be born? You don't have any control over where you're born, right? In the same way, you don't have any control over how you die, right? And, and these prophecies, that makes them all the more amazing. And of course, the biggest one was the resurrection, and there were witnesses, again, who ultimately were willing to die for that. So I would still all bring all these up, right? Because there are qualifications in, in a way, his bona fides on, on how he's Lord of Lords. But I would also appeal to people's sense of logic. So what I'm saying is I would frame it or summarize it that after all the things that Jesus did and said, after you consider them, you could only really come to one of three different conclusions. Right? And this is courtesy of a book that I read back long ago, and the book was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, written by Josh McDowell. I got him, get him, give him props, give him credit. He claimed correctly that, that after one is presented with all this evidence about who Jesus is and what he did, 
you could only conclude that he was either one, the Lord, two, a liar, or three, a lunatic. And those are easy to remember, right? Because they all start with L. He's either the Lord, he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic. There wasn't room for gray area. He was not a, just a great man. He would, some people relegate him to, oh, he was a prophet. You know, they, had, they say, oh, okay, I'll give you that. He was a prophet. But you have to really look at what he said and what he did. So let's look at those three real quick, Lord, liar, and lunatic. I'll start with the easiest one, easiest one to refute, and that is there's no way he was crazy. right? With all the beautiful things that were written about him, nobody ever said that he was crazy. Um, and, of course, he never displayed any type of inconsistency or even ambiguity or instability. right? I mean, crazy people are not stable. Can we all agree on that? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Now, the second one is, well, then... Would he be considered a liar? Now, lies are like potato chips, right? You can't just do just one, right? You have to back them up. I mean, can you imagine what that would involve over the course of a lifetime? I mean, he would have to gather disciples together. He would say, I'm gonna, okay, guys, I'm going to do some miracles here. And, well, they'll be fake because I'm a liar. And then you tell them that it's because I'm the Messiah. I have that strength. And then, um, you know, I'm willing to die for this, right? It'll be a, but afterwards, there'll be a fake resurrection. So the least you, you can do is you guys have to hide my body, right? Because it all has to be coordinated. Can't be any mix-ups, right? And you might even have to die for this lie, if you will. But if you think about it, people don't die for a lie. I'm, I don't, people are not willing to die for a lie. Certainly not the type of deaths that the martyrs uh, endured, right? I mean, uh, and they're all recorded. So it's, it's ludicrous. It's hilarious to even think about what any one person would have to do to perpetuate and sustain the lies about his life, his whole life. You know, just to avoid, he had to, would have to avoid being getting, getting arrested uh, prematurely. I mean, and, and if you were to take it down to the granular level here, which is what I do sometimes, I, I take it to another level here, Think about it, even on a day-to-day basis, you know, Jesus would be there, and let's say the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they're coming to him, and this would be after he healed um, an invalid, say, at the pool of um, Bethesda, right? So he's uh, in Jerusalem, but he healed him, remember, on the Sabbath, and that's recorded in John chapter 5. But the Pharisees would be coming up to Jesus, and they would say, you know, did you heal a man on the Sabbath? Now, if Jesus was a liar, he would have to, he would have to answer him, right? And he would, he would say, you know, and I started laughing to myself. So, um, and I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord. Please don't misunderstand me here. But he would say, well, you know, I was there. I can't say I wasn't there, right? Uh, he would say, uh, there were witnesses, <laughs> you know, and they saw me. But the witnesses would probably tell you, that I wouldn't say that I didn't, you know, and that would be good, you know, that would be his answer. But that's how laughable it was, and, and I just kept going on and on, but he never lied, ever. And he wasn't a lunatic, and we know that. So the only logical conclusion that you can come up with was that he's Lord, right? 
that he is the Messiah. And he said he was. There's no gray areas. He said some amazing things about himself. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one, right? And then in uh, John chapter 17, you could read all of that. This is the amazing prayer about him and his relationship with the Father and who he is, and he establishes himself. He is the Messiah. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, right? So he He's the Messiah. And I'll believe this till the day I die. And even after that, even more, because I know he's the Messiah. So always be prepared because people are going to have questions. And if you have a salvation story, you can tell it and use the road to Romans to firm it up. That was point one. And point two is steer the conversation, if you can, towards Jesus about why you believe that he is Lord. And then use that Lord, liar, and um, lunatic type of arrangement and conclude that it's, it's only logical. Jesus is Lord. And then for the last part of preparation today, to help explain the reason for the hope that we have, uh, I'd like to prepare us to talk about why we believe in heaven. Point number three, why I believe in heaven. Just like people always have questions, everybody pretty sure has a sense of their own mortality, Right? And so they do think about heaven, some people more than others, especially the older you get, you think about it more, or if you're sick, or if you're both. (laughs) For my part, so much of my hope in Jesus is because I want to be with him, and I want to be with you in heaven. So let's get into it. Why we believe, or why I believe in heaven. It's because of A, what what Jesus said, B will be what Jesus did, and then C will be what the Bible says. So A, because of what Jesus said. And I'll just give you three quick examples, because heavens, I mean, you do a search and word search in in, uh, the Bible gateway for heaven, and you forget it, forget about it, right? So I love how often this topic came up in the Bible. But today I'm only going to give you three examples of of when Jesus talked about heaven. And they're easy to remember. The first one of course, is when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, right? In Matthew, everybody knows this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where he says, our Father who art in heaven, right? So Jesus talking about heaven, and that's the model of, of how we pray. We don't have to pray those specific words, but that's the model to always be aware and always be aware that our Father is in heaven. Heaven's real. He said it very matter-of-factly. And so make that comment when you pray. It's like, it's like his domain, right? It's, it's like his website, Jesus at heaven.com. That's where he is, our Father who art in heaven. So that's an easy one to remember. And then the second one, uh, uh, an example about Jesus talking about heaven is also pretty easy. Turn to, to John chapter 14, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And in John chapter 14, and by the way, I love some of today's, um, some of today's TV shows where they, they show Jesus in his life, you know, and, and his disciples, because it, it just it enables us to really envision the conversation. These were real people talking. It's not, they're not, you know, characters. They're real people. They lived real lives, and they got to spend time with them. And so I can envision the conversations. But in, in John chapter 13, if you recall, it was at the Last Supper, and Jesus predicted his betrayal by Jesus. And he predicted 
Peter's denial. And so by the beginning of chapter, John chapter 14, you know, people hear this, oh, you're going to be betrayed, uh, you're going to be denied. They're kind of bummed out. Okay? But let's read this together because I want you to notice how, how Jesus, he pivots, right? And in verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, and I'll take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, right? And then Thomas, of course, said to him, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there it is. He talks about heaven, and he talks about how he's the Messiah, all in that same little section there. Without hesitation, there's no one else that's mentioned here, and there's no other way to get there. And he said it, and I believe it, right? So Jesus mentions heaven there in, in our Father. He mentions it during the Last Supper. And then the third example where he talks about heaven is towards the end of his earthly life. It's at the cross. And we all know this. You remember the exchange between Jesus and the two criminals in the latter part of Luke chapter 23, Criminal on each side, you know, one of them says, aren't you the Messiah? I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, but the other criminal, you know, the first one says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. You can do it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? You know, we deserve all of this, but this man's done nothing wrong. And he, he just asked Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus answered him. What did he say? In verse 43, he said, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise, right? What an awesome comfort. Uh, he knew that he, there was a heaven. He knew that he was going home, that Jesus was going home. And it's a place that was uh, uniquely familiar to him, very familiar to him. It was very real. He knew one second you're here, the next you're not. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Right? So those should be easy to remember, right? When Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about our Father who's our, who is in heaven in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He talked about heaven in the Last Supper in John 14, and then he talked about it at the cross in Luke 23. He, again, he had no trouble talking about it. Ultimately, it was one of the last things that he spoke about audibly in Galilee when he met the disciples. This is after he had risen, and he was uh, opening up the Great Commission and he's sharing with them in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to them and he said in verse 18 of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven in heaven, and on earth has been given to me. It was not a secret. And his resurrection was already proof that he was Lord, right? So he reaffirmed everything there, having all authority as Lord of heaven and earth. So quickly here, uh, I believe in heaven because of, A, what Jesus said about heaven. Now we're on point B, which is because of what Jesus did. And of course, he made it all possible for us to be in heaven with him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
the Lord revealed this scripture to me because the, the people, the people of Israel, the Jews were accustomed to the sacrificial covenant, right? So they understood the context here in Hebrews of the concept of sacrifice. But now the new covenant is established. It's one sacrifice is all it took, right? So he changed it. What he did was enabled us to be saved, not by sacrifices, but by faith. Amen? Not by works, multiple times, over and over, to what? Achieve atonement? No, to achieve forgiveness through one sacrifice. We're saved by faith, and it's a gift. You don't need to do anything else, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift from God, right? I'm quoting uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He rescued us from death with one sacrificial act uh, for eternity so that we can be with him. Where? In heaven. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That's what Jesus will do based on what he did. He's going to present us collectively in heaven. So we believe in Jesus because of what he said, because of what he did, and thirdly, in point C, because of what the Bible says. That's important here, uh, what the Bible says about heaven. And I'm just going to give you a few more examples because there's, there's really tons of scriptures, but we don't have time. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21, and even then I hope I don't give it uh, short shrift. Short thrift, not remembering it. But it's Revelation chapter 21. You know, you know, Jesus referred to heaven as a physical place over which he has authority, right? So in verse 21, oh, sorry, chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Some quick takeaways here, it, and again, I don't mean to go through it too fast, but it's a physical place, all new, to go with our new bodies, right? And the Lord himself will make a personal appearance, so it's personal, and there'll be no crying, no pain, no deaths. Just awesome. If you get a chance on your own as homework, look at Revelation chapter 4. It just talks about heaven, too, as just being a place of awesome worship and a place of beauty and John, bless his heart, went to great effort, the Apostle John, to describe a place that Jesus had prepared for us. But he falls short, but it's a great effort, right? We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, However, as it is written, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has, can even conceive, the things that God has prepared for those who love him right? Because nobody can really describe heaven in a worthy manner. 
another couple of quick takeaways here is that we won't be alone. Everything is on a personal level. In 1 John, we went through 1 John, and uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Totally in sync, right? It'll just be so awesome. I almost want to spend time just dwelling on that for a while. We'll be there with Jesus, and we won't be alone. We'll be there with each other. So turn, I'm sorry to ask you so many times, but turn to Hebrew chapter 11. And I, for one, just can't wait. See all the, the people that we want to reunite with, right? I think it's just going to be awesome. But chapter 11, if you don't know, it talks about the hall of faith, right? And it ends in verse uh, 39. It says how all these people, they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. He planned heaven so that they only together with us would they be made perfect. And then there's a big transition there in chapter 12, the beginning of it. It says, therefore, therefore, after all has been said prior to this, since we are and will be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles us and the sin that so easily entangles us. A great cloud of witnesses. And I love that. And I love the ending. I don't want to disregard that. You know, throw off that. How can we, if we're letting our hearts and minds dwell on the things of above, how can we let sin of today entangle us? You know, because we should be just um, consumed in a way. And I just know it's just going to be such an awesome reunion. So let's hold on to, to Hebrews chapter 12 for a second. But remember, we won't be alone. We'll be with Jesus. We'll be with each other. And the, another cool thing is that we'll be with the angels. And so were you to read Revelation chapter 4 about the throne in heaven, it's really neat if you were to fall, continue in that vein in chapter 5 of, of Revelation and see how the angels were waiting for someone worthy to break the seals and open the scroll until finally the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, he appears in, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. And John says, Then I looked up and I heard the voice of, of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's crazy numbers. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They were singing that. And it's so awesome. And if that sounds familiar, flip right now to Hebrews chapter 12. If you're there, sorry, I asked you to hold that. But now look at verse 22. Because it finishes what we, we had started talking about, that great cloud of witnesses in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I love how the Bible reinforces itself, right? And it's just amazing. So beautiful, so awesome, all good and no bad. We're all going to be together with Jesus. We'll be there with each other. We'll be there with the angels. How can you not want to talk about that? How can you not want to talk about the hope that we have in Him? So as we prepare, I do want to uh, let you know how much I appreciate and am encouraged by, by all of you. You believe in Jesus. Most of you, I know that. And 
and you believe that he died for you to give you eternal life. You don't need proof, and I was going to spend more time, but I don't think we have enough. But uh, in John chapter 20, but you believe, if you remember in, in John chapter 20, Thomas was like, well, I'll believe it when I see the nail marks in his hands, right? But you guys believe. And Jesus said in, later on in that chapter, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't that a blessing? We're blessed because we have faith in the Lord and we've accepted him as our Lord. So I hope now that you're a little better prepared to explain why you're a Christian, how you came to Christ. Remember the road to Romans, right? Romans 3.23, Throw in 5.8 if you can remember. And then why you accepted Jesus as Lord, because it's logical, right? It's not illogical. It's a logical thing. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic, but he's Lord. And then you can explain the last part, that your hope is in heaven as Jesus promised. You just got to be patient. You know, Remember that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we eagerly await a Savior from there who's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Philippians chapter 3. Let's all stand. Okay?